Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Communion Sunday, September 1st, 2013. Today's message is titled, Don't Worry About Anything, Instead Pray About Everything, by Pastor Isaac Whiting. And it's based on scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. May the Lord be with you. I've never done that before. <laughs> Today's sermon is entitled, Don't Worry, Instead Pray. That will be more familiar to some of you than to others. We'll see what I mean in a few minutes. We will be looking at Philippians chapter 4 and one expression of Paul's strategy for life. Paul's strategy for life. I'll begin with a few questions and a story to focus our minds and help us think about this, and then we'll go into Philippians 4. Would you please pray with me? Father God, as we come to your word, we ask that you would be here with us by your spirit, to open it to us. God, we want to understand it more. We want your word that we know is the source of all life to live in us, the source of all joy, the source of all peace. God, make it live in us today. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20, Paul says something very interesting. He says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of power. The kingdom of God is a matter of power. So what do you think? What do you think is more powerful? The spirit or the flesh? Do you think that the things that you can see in this physical world are more powerful or the things that you can't see? Move this down a little bit. What do you think is more powerful? The entire earth and outer space, the whole cosmos and the universe, all those incredibly large stars and supernovas and things that we can't even wrap our heads around how much energy is contained in them, or love. Which of these two things has more power to change the world, to create reality? And for us, practically, the question is, which of these things has more power to make our lives good? I suppose you know what Jesus' answer to this question was, right? The Spirit gives life, he said. The flesh, the physical reality, what you can see, this world and its principles, doesn't even count. A while ago, when we got back from our Mexico mission trip, we had the youth come up and they gave testimonies. 
And one of my favorite testimonies, and the reason I had him repeat it over and over again, was the one given by Samuel Tobert. We were in this little church in Mexico, a much smaller church really in every way than our church, uh, much less money than us, uh, fewer people. There were only probably about 50 people in that church. And, you know, a smaller building. But Samuel, after he got out of that service, their Sunday morning service, that night when we all met together, he shared his testimony with us that he shared with you here. And what he said was that he felt a power enter that room. And he said the only way he could describe it was to say that it was a power so strong that he felt like it could just blow out the sun like it was a candle. Now, are those just nice words from Samuel? Or is that really true? What's more powerful, the sun or something unseen in a little church in Mexico with nothing particularly remarkable about it? So you know Jesus' answer to this question, and now I'm going to pose a few questions to all of you to help you think about what you believe. Do you believe that the visible is more powerful or the invisible? First, ladies, let me ask you this. Would you rather be pretty or kind? Now, I know these two things can exist together and very often do, but what if you had to choose between those two things? What if you could be pretty, but very mean, or you could be kind, but maybe not the best-looking person? Which would you choose? Or again, uh, young men especially, Would you rather be a fantastic athlete, good at every sport you play and admired by all the other guys around you, a real man's man, or would you rather be humble? If you had to choose between those two things, which has more power to make your life good? What would you choose? Would you choose to be famous, well-known and successful, loved by everyone around you, everyone who's heard of you, or would you choose to be a person who's truly at peace if you had to choose? Rich and successful, or a person who loves other people as much as you love yourself? And final question on this day when we're all going back to school, many of us. Would you rather be a person who is well-educated, person who has a good education or a person who knows how to pray. If you had to choose between those two things in your life, which one would you choose? Clearly, Jesus and the apostles and Paul who we're talking about today would have chosen in every case with no hesitation the latter those things that I said, believing completely that the invisible things of God have far more power to make our lives good than the visible. 
All right. Now let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4 with that in mind. Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, a church that he absolutely loves and a church that loves him very much. This is a church, as Pastor Ryan said last week, that had supported him many times when other churches had not. He's also writing this letter not knowing if he'll ever see them again. He's writing this letter from prison. The letter's full of love and not very much rebuke or correction in the letter. In Philippians chapter 4 and starting at verse 2, Paul begins to wrap up the letter, sort of the beginning of his concluding remarks. And he begins by addressing a situation between two women in the church, two women with very difficult names, wouldn't you say? I, Barb, you did a great job earlier. Uh, Euodia and Syntyche, Euodia and Syntyche, two women in the church. We don't know anything about these women other than uh, we know that these women were co-workers with Paul, uh, very much women who not only believed in Jesus but had followed the faith and tried to spread the faith, strong women of Christ. And these women are arguing with each other. They are having a dispute, a fight, and Paul seeks to stop it. Now, not only do we not know much about these women, but we also don't know what they were arguing about, and that is remarkable. In trying to end their fight, Paul doesn't even address what the fight is about. This tells us a couple of things. First, it tells us that the fight is not about something of ultimate importance. It's not that one of them has committed some great sin, you know, one had uh, murdered someone or stolen something from the other. It's not some obvious moral matter. It is, rather, something in the flesh that they're fighting about. Something having to do with the principles of this world, the things that we can see and touch. And Paul doesn't even address the issue. What are they fighting about? We could make up some things that would fit the situation, right? It's almost great that he doesn't say, because then it could be anything, and we can fit it to things that we've known in our own lives. Who knows? Maybe these two women are sisters. Uh, maybe they're fighting about some family matter, where they're going to have Easter dinner, or if the family should move to a new home, or how they're raising their kids. Could be anything. Or maybe these two women, since they had been co-workers with Paul, are high up in the church. Maybe they're leaders in the church. And maybe they're fighting about something in the church, about what the church should do. Maybe it's about money. Should we put more money toward uh, children's ministry or should we put it toward outreach to the poor? Maybe they're fighting about something in the building or how their church services are going. Who knows? Maybe their senior pastor just left and they're fighting about how they'll go about finding a new one or who should be that new senior pastor. All of these things, whatever it is, are things that are visible and of this world. And they are things that Paul completely ignores in trying to stop the fight. Now, it's not that these things aren't important at all. Many of these things are important, but 
for Paul and for all of the writers of the Bible. What's much more important are the things that are unseen. The relationship between these two women is far more important than what they are fighting about. And Paul believes firmly that what is unseen, their unity and peace between them, their joy in the Holy Spirit, has far more power than getting the right answer about whatever the argument is. And so Paul completely ignores it. And he goes into a repetition repeating for the Philippians his strategy for life. We can see that this is something he had already told them and shown them as he lived with them. But he repeats it now because, I think, it seems to him that these two women have completely forgotten what they should be doing in life. The very fact that they're fighting about something that's visible, about something that is not the most important, means that they have forgotten Paul's strategy for life. So what is that strategy? He begins in verse 4. I decided on this sermon and this text a while ago uh, because of some things that happened in VBS. A month ago, it seems like much more than a month, at least to me, we were all downstairs Uh, spending a week running around with the little kids and chanting slogans about Jesus and teaching the Bible. What was our theme this year? Kingdom rock, right? Stand strong for God. And there's a funny thing that happens every year during VBS. And that is that I have observed after not as many VBSs as some of you, but I think I've been to eight of them now, eight VBSs that I've been part of, that I think immediately it's the adults that get more out of VBS than the kids. The seeds are planted in the kids' lives, of course, and I'm sure God is faithful and later those seeds will grow. But right away, in the moment, that week and that month, it's the adults that benefit the most. And it goes something like this. We come in and we have all these phrases and songs that we repeat to each other and sing during VBS, right? And these phrases and songs are great truths of the Bible. And we shout them at each other. We shout them at each other. Um, You know, last year, it was... No matter what happens, trust God. No matter what happens, trust God. No matter what people do, trust God. And we shout these at each other. I don't know how many times we say it during the day on VBS. Probably, you know, 50 times, maybe more, shouting these things at each other. And as we do that, that becomes what our minds are thinking about. And then... When something happens, we actually do the things that we've been saying to each other. When something wrong, uh, something happens that uh, we don't know how to fix, our immediate response during VBS is to go together, to come together and pray. That's the immediate response. Is that your immediate response the rest of the year? 
Maybe it is for some. I know for many it's not. We come together and pray. We seek God because we're telling each other these things over and over again. And this year at VBS, my favorite, my favorite truth of the Bible that we said to each other was one that comes from Philippians chapter 4. And it was this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. It was a song. There's motions to it, but I won't do that for you right now. So we sang this song over and over again, and I noticed very clearly adults and many of the youth, especially those who'd been on the mission trip as well, doing exactly that. Instead of worrying, seeking God immediately in anything that they needed. And then what happens is that God starts to respond. And people every year come and they say, it's incredible. God answers prayers during this week. It's incredible. I feel like, I feel like I'm walking around in, in a taste of heaven during this week. It's incredible. I, feel like, I almost feel like we're in this eternal life, this kingdom of God during this week. And then we say, why doesn't it happen the rest of the year? Oh, I don't know. Paul outlines for us here his strategy for life, not just for a week, but for all of his life. His strategy begins like this. First, he says in verse 4, my advice to you, what you should do, is that you should always be glad because of God. Paul's not just saying that hopefully you'll be happy because God's done some things for you. No, he's saying what you should do in your life is try. Actually, use your mind and use the free will that God has given you to try and be happy because of what God has done for you. To think about these things and focus yourself on them, even in times when it's difficult. This fact is so important for him that he even repeats it for the Philippians. In case you didn't understand what I said, in case you missed it or you're reading this letter too quickly and you need to slow down, I'll say it again. Always be happy because of God. And if you do focus your mind on this, you will find that all the time we have 10,000 reasons, even more things that we could come up with, reasons that we should be fantastically happy about what God has done for us and continues to do for us every day. He tells the Philippians that they should always be glad. Moving on in his strategy to verse 5, he tells them that they should be gentle with other people. I think that this essentially means that they should not try to force or manipulate or control each other. They should simply be gentle with each other because they trust that God is in control. He's speaking here directly, I think, to the two women mentioned earlier. They're trying to force their own will, their own way about something we don't know what it is. But Paul says, be gentle with each other. Don't try to manipulate each other. Don't try to force your way. Trust God 
and just be kind to each other. God is coming soon. In verse 6, the verse that I love so much in VBS, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Now, I preached this sermon actually last week at Faith Chinese English Service. And I'll tell you what someone said to me after the sermon. They said, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that reggae song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. (laughs) I thought that was interesting and funny. And that song does carry an important truth that we are partly in control of what we think and feel. But what Paul expresses here in Don't Worry About Anything But Pray About Everything is far up fuller and more real than simply don't worry, be happy. Because he gives you a specific task, something that you can do when you worry. You can't simply choose not to worry, right? Especially in the moment. If you're worried and you tell yourself, don't worry, it doesn't work. But Paul gives us something that we can do. And I think he's not just telling us in this verse that we should pray in that moment, although he is saying that. But he is saying that if we build a life in which we pray constantly about everything, this will defeat our worries. If we do this constantly, then in the moments when something attacks us, when some trouble comes, we will be able actually to turn our hearts away from worry by praying to God. That is a powerful thing. And then the next piece of his strategy for life. He says that you should, with thanksgiving, lift up your prayers and requests to God. You should be thankful to God all the time. This, again, not just nice words from Paul, but actually what he is suggesting, begging the Philippians to do as their regular practice. And down in verse 8, he rounds out his strategy for life by telling us about what we should think. Have you ever thought about the fact that you have control, in fact, a large degree of control over what you set your mind on God has given you the power to choose to think about different things. You can just think about whatever happens to come to your mind. You can release that control. But God has given you power to put your mind on what you choose to put it on. And Paul says in verse 8 and 9 that you should put your mind constantly on things that are good. Whatever is good and right and true and pure This is what you should spend your time and energy thinking about. This is what you should spend your time and energy thinking about. This is Paul's strategy for life. This is what he himself does. And remember that as he writes this letter from prison, it is not a strategy that is untried or untested. 
It was also, in fact, Jesus' strategy for life and the strategy of many, many Christians, many believers and followers of Jesus over the centuries, people who have proved that this is true. So what would happen if someone actually did what Paul is suggesting here? What would happen if instead of putting most of your energy toward things that are visible, toward things that are of this world, even though those things are important, what would happen if someone put the majority of their energy and time toward this strategy, toward being happy because of God, toward praying constantly instead of worrying, toward being gentle with other people, and toward being thankful to God and thinking about God and the good things that he has given all the time. What would happen to that person? Paul tells us exactly what would happen to that person. Verse 7, Then, if you do this, because you belong to Christ Jesus, because you will then be in Christ Jesus all the time, God will bless you with a peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way you think and feel. What kind of a person would you be if the peace of God constantly controlled the way you think and feel? You would be a person that is out of this world. You would be a person who's like Jesus. You would be a person with that power, that power that's beyond the entire universe that could blow out the sun like a candle, actually living in and running your life. This is what I want for my life. I hope that it's what you want for your life. In summary and conclusion then, Paul is telling us that the Spirit always wins. Even though it's tempting for us to believe that what's visible, what we can see, the things that happen around us in the flesh are the most important and the most powerful, Paul is saying, no, that is not the case at all. The Spirit always wins, every time. And so he's suggesting to us that we spend the vast majority of our energy and time building an inner life that is focused on God. Training our hearts and minds to focus on God. In fact, building an inner life that is like the inner life of Jesus. This is Paul's strategy for life, and I pray that it will be our strategy for life as well. Will you pray with me now? Father God, thank you for this incredibly simple and powerful word that you've spoken through your servant Paul, that you spoke through Jesus as well and through many others. God, I pray that you would help me, and I pray that you would help all of us here to put into practice the things that Jesus did, 
the things that Paul did to take on this as our strategy for life, that the spirit is more important than the flesh, to build an inner life that is like your inner life. I pray that as we do, you will meet us and help us as you promise that you will. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.